all we've tried to do always is show is do everything the best we possibly can never never compromise even when the customer's like i can't afford to do that we just do it anyway and don't judge them <laughs> it's just a terrible business plan <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's exactly kind of how we got started yeah. Welcome to Oil & Whiskey, an Ironclad Original. I am Josh Henning. I'm Phil Gerber. I'm Jeremy Gerber. Welcome to Oil & Whiskey, an Ironclad Original. Today's guest in the studio, in flesh and blood, all the way from away over there. <laughs> England. Way, Believe way it or over not. there, across the pond. Uh, in studio, co-founder of Retro Power, Callum Sevior. Yeah, bang Sevior. on. Bang Sevior, on. all right. I got it right the first time. Nailed I questioned it. myself. Uh, all the way out of Leicestershire? I know, you, you fucked that up. Yeah, like, you've okay. heard of that. <laughs> well, how, is it, how is it? Leicestershire. It doesn't look like that yeah, at all. It looks like it's pronounced. Yeah, no, Leicestershire. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the Americans have, are notorious for not getting the shires right. <laughs> I, I don't blame you because it doesn't yeah. look anything like Leicestershire. But Now it does. Yeah. I, I took... Four of the letters out, and now it does. Leicestershire, 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 UK, where he heads up the design department of Retro Power. Retro Power specializes in building high-end bespoke resto mods. Their facilities offer a comprehensive approach, offering design, engineering, sheet metal fabrication, paintwork, and vehicle construction services. You can learn more at retropower.co.uk. Follow them on Instagram at retropowercars and subscribe to their YouTube Subscribe to their YouTube channel at Retro Power Cars. That was a, that was a mouthful. <laughs> you nailed it. Callum, welcome to Oil & Whiskey. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. So, how long have you been here? I know you came over for a little trip, didn't you? Yeah, yeah we've uh, been a, a week, and this is our last day actually last day yeah we're flying back tomorrow afternoon i think it is so we flew to miami uh sunday i think it was um to go to the daytona 500 so we went miami drove up to melbourne i think it was which was just a place halfway to daytona mm -hmm. um and then yeah daytona 500 stayed in daytona the 500 was awesome. Was that your um, first NASCAR race? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, did it live up to everything like the American stereotype is? Uh, exactly. You got to understand, uh, NASCAR is it's a little highbrow than what you're used to, right? Yeah. So I know you you guys probably have the F1 and stuff like that, but NASCAR, we uh, all, that, all that terrible motorsport like F1. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it was it was exactly what I was expecting. We, uh, I'm not I'm not like an oval racing fan. I just wanted the atmosphere, the noise. You know, yeah. I, I knew what it was going to be like, and it lived it. It lived up to it. It was perfect. Yeah, that's it's just exactly what I wanted. Like so this isn't dr drinking, oh, yeah. drinking cheap beer with loads of noisy people with V8s flying by. And it's, yeah, it's what I wanted. I wouldn't go again. But <laughs> it's what I wanted to do. Um, so yeah, 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 yeah you got to do Talladega next. Yeah. Talladega is, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's the real highbrow. That's where we take it up a notch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Then we, when do we go after that? Uh, it's basically been coming here in all honesty the, the the rest of the trip was all about coming here. Um, so I think we went Atlanta, uh, Nashville, Indianapolis. So we went to the Indi Indianapolis Speedway Museum. Awesome. Uh, and then here. Yeah. And then we're flying back tomorrow. You get a little closer just if you, yeah. if you don't mind. You can move around, get comfortable, do whatever you want. 
Uh, well, that's awesome, man. You've seen uh, seen at least most of the East Coast and Midwest, then. Yeah. On a snap, little snap. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's been really good. It's been really good. It's, it's like a massive bucket list motorsport year for me this year because we're doing, obviously, we've done Daytona 500, went to Indianapolis. There wasn't anything on, but it, I just wanted to be there. Um, and then we're doing the Le Mans Classic in June, which is the 100th anniversary of it's 100 years since the first Le Mans 24 hour, which is going to be a huge event. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we're doing the Goodwood Festival of Speed, which you've probably heard yeah, of, which yes. is also awesome event. I've it's been before. Everybody's bucket list. Over that's, on our, that's on our bucket list. Yeah. For sure. So that's that's this year. And I, <laughs> a customer of mine messaged me whilst I've been here saying, do you fancy doing SEMA this year? And I'm thinking, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I've got the stamina. For that was, <laughs> I was going to ask you that <laughs> yeah. next if, if you're going to round it I have done. SEMA. I've done SEMA. We did SEMA mm-hmm. in 2019. It was just yeah, just before COVID went crazy, uh, and it was it, it was really good. That, that lived up to my expectations massively as well. Loads of your cars here um, there, sorry, which was good to see as well. So yeah. awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. Well, man, uh, take us take us to the beginning. We're uh, we just just met today. We. Uh-huh. Uh, I'll have to be honest, when uh, Chris set this up and said y'all were coming out, uh, did a little research. You know, I'd, I'd heard your name, seen you around Instagram and stuff like that, but didn't know a lot about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I've been doing some digging over the last few weeks, whatever. I'm, I'm quite impressed. Uh, you, you do some. Thank uh, you. Yeah, so we'll, we'll get into all that. That means a lot coming ahead. from you. Before, you, <laughs> we, before we do, tell us kind of where it all got started over there. Uh, it got started uh, in 2009 in terms of, a business. Um, I'm, my brother and I have just messed around with cars for as long as I can remember. He's five years older, so he was always the one who influenced me. He looks way younger. Maybe it's the camera. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> um, so we were, we've always just tinkered with machines, not even cars, like machines. We'd be taking lawnmowers apart and tuning them up and, you know, just messing with anything with a petrol engine generally. Um, and then 2009, we basically had this conversation which was, yeah, should we like rent a unit and see if we could make a basic living messing around with cars? Um, and that's what we did. So we got this small unit, which I now realize was good fortune in that it was just one part of a much bigger building with other businesses and the other units. Um, and yeah, we were just doing anything we could do. So welding up rusty wheel arches on old cars and doing whatever we could do to make a few pounds um and then i'd say it was a year in so 2010 we were approached to do our first kind of full build project so bare metal shell to finish turnkey car uh which was an opal ascona uh, it was a opal ascona 400 which is kind of a group b um, homologation car but this was a replica of one uh, and we did that build finished it in 2011 um that then got taken to a lot of shows that generated a lot more interest and kind of things started to take off from there. And we've started doing, we got to a position where we were quite quickly doing almost exclusively full builds, you know, uh, sort of bare metal shell to turnkey car builds. Um, well, before we go too much further, I'm, I'm interested in this part of it because we talk about this quite a bit and we get this question a lot from uh, up and comers and guys that are just starting out or, haven't started out and they're wanting to or they have been in business for a year or two and they're they're looking for that for that big thing right they're looking for that break or they're looking for what what do i do to put myself on the map mm-hmm. um you know so you, you said you took the y'all both took the uh, leap and said we're going to do this and you took what came in 
right? Yeah. And, you know, re- yeah. repairing rusty wheel arches. Those yeah. are wheel wells. I'm going to yeah, start yeah, doing yeah, a little yeah. bit of, you said pounds, yeah, too, we, so that's dollars yeah, yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. I'll do a, I'll We can talk about bonnets and boots. Yeah. Or. <laughs> so, but then you, you get approached by this customer, um, you know, to do this full wild build. Mm. A couple of things. One, why do you think he approached you at that point in time without really a great large mm. body work? Sometimes it's just luck. Sometimes it's friendship. Sometimes they see something in you. Sometimes it's they're like, I think I can get them to do a pretty damn good job for cheap because mm. they're they're not they're well to make known. Name, yeah, right. Right. I'm going to be the one that makes yeah. them. So there's yeah. something to dig in there. But also, how much further did you go time, labor, and effort-wise than what you probably mm-hmm. got paid for? Oh, way further. I mean, like, the, <laughs> I, I don't think my brother and I took more than about 500 pounds, that's dollars, <laughs> a month for the first five years of our business. Um, we put in, you know, we were probably only charging half the hours we were actually doing. Um, uh, it, going back to what you were saying about how we got that first kind of full build, it was a combination of things. I think media was one. We were probably a little bit ahead of the general kind of car restoration scene uh, in terms of media coverage. So in 2009, when we started, I was like, well, we've got to show everybody what we're doing. So we got Facebook pages for all our different projects. This is before Instagram and YouTube wasn't really kind of as big as it is now. Um, so we were, we were literally photographing everything we were doing. And that's it's actually something that I've always admired about you guys is that the level of detail you show. And there's very few people that do that. Everybody's like, here's the shit car at the beginning. Oh, look at this amazing car done. at the end. Yeah. But it, you, can, you, can make, you can make a car look amazing in a finished picture, even when it's pretty bad, you know, in a picture. That, oh, right. My shiny paint job looks great. You know, There's a lot of what's underneath cars it? That yeah, see in person, <laughs> exactly, like, oh. exactly. Uh, so we showed a lot of detail. That was probably the one thing. Um, and then I think that led to this particular person coming to see us, and then I think meeting us. Perhaps I guess we sold ourselves well, and you know that I suppose was the big break. Um, and then that carried on it. And we've all we've tried to do always is show is do everything the best we possibly can never never compromise even when the customer's like i can't afford to do that we just do it anyway and don't charge them <laughs> it's just a terrible business plan yeah, that's, <laughs> that's exactly kind of how we got started yeah. we yeah. built it we built our first car and nobody was really doing anything like even most companies didn't have an internet website mm. at that yeah. point this is before facebook and instagram i made a website put a bunch of pictures of the car that we built on there and then Barry saw that, um, found us based on our, our website that was horrible at the time, uh, but it was one of like three websites yeah. in the industry, and he came to us to build the car, and then same thing, we're, we're working on it. I don't think my brother even had a time card when he was you know punching in, mm-hmm. so almost all of his time was donated and free to, yeah. to build this car to then get our name out there, but... Yeah. At that point in time, you didn't even have to worry about search engine optimization, right? Because if you just searched Hot Rod, it was just <laughs> it was like three. three. <laughs> there was three of them <laughs> on there. Yeah. As long as uh, AOL didn't disconnect while you were uh, <laughs> yeah. logging on. And dial up. Yeah, yeah. yeah we kind of, same idea. We just wanted to show everything because we figured same deal. You could see all the details and how we did it. And you're not hiding anything. You're showing the level of, you know, workmanship that goes into every area of the car, not just like you know, Josh said, Started out with a rusty shell. Here it is, done, and you yeah. know what looks like it could yeah. be beautiful. So we had no idea of where it was going to go. We just wanted to work on cars, and it seemed 
the obvious thing to do to show people what you were doing in detail because we were proud of what we were doing. That was what it came down to. We weren't even thinking of it from a marketing point of view, really. We just thought, we're really proud of this. Let's show it off to people. Um, and that, that really is what led to that, that work. And then it was the same deal. So when we did that first full build, we showed everything in massive detail and that led to more people wanting the same sort of thing. And, uh, you know, 2011, so two years after we started, the business next to us moved out, so we took their unit on. Um, 2013, third, second business on that site moved out. We took their unit. Were they moving out at just about the appropriate yeah. time that you needed? Yeah, by chance. That way? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then it's funny how two that years happens. two years ago we took the final unit in the building we're in, and much I can see you've got exactly the same thing that momentarily for this like dream window you're like wow we've got the dream workshop and then about two weeks later you're like ah, we need more space <laughs> it's uh, yeah. Yeah, so you did the tour then, so. <laughs> yeah 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 did chris take you over to uh, he, our second he location? did and I, I felt really felt for you when he said about the fact that that then you found out too late that that place came up for sale and uh you didn't. You missed the opportunity to have the whole of that building, which is. It looks like the dream place for you guys. Yeah, it would Thanks. have been ideal. <laughs> and I just remind you of that. <laughs> yeah. But all of that there was in the back corner of this shop in July of this year. So yeah. six yeah. months ago. It's just and insane. It's just absolutely insane. Yeah. And we're kind of at that. We, it's not. You know, the market in the UK isn't as big, so the growth is definitely slower, but. We've, I can see the progression, you know, laid out in front of us, and we, you know, we need a bigger place already. But you got, you guys have actually inspired a lot of that. You know, it was twenty. You know, we didn't really. We've seen like Boyd Coddington and American Hot Rod, and loved all of that stuff. But we were just working on whatever cars we could get our hands on. And then it was only around probably I think twenty thirteen. I came across you guys' website and started looking at the projects you were doing. I was like, it's just just insane. Like the, this level of detail. I want to do that. Um, oh. And, you know, we're, we're now at the point, probably, that, I guess, that many years ago, 10 years ago, where we're, we're getting those clients and we're being able to do that stuff. And it's just, you know, it's, it's that excitement of getting the customers or the clients that share your vision and just go, yeah, just, I trust your judgment. The money's there. Just right. just do it. Build it awesome. And, uh, you know, we're at that point now where we're, we're building the stuff that, I could only ever dream of doing when I was watching you guys that many years ago. That's awesome. That uh, that first customer, when you're sitting there talking to them and going through the the scope of work and how how large of a project this is going to be, <laughs> how important that was, obviously for your shop at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the little bit that I've gotten to know you and, and and watching on some of the YouTube videos, you definitely pride yourself on doing what you say you're going to do and taking care of that customer. At that point, when you're going through all that, how confident in yourselves were you that you were going to be able to pull off what you said you were going to be pulling, being able to pull off? <laughs> I reckon we were confident the the money side of it is where we were miles off. Like we'd be like, oh yeah, it's probably going to cost about this much, but we had no experience. We had yep. nothing, no benchmark at that point. We right. were like, yeah, it's just, it's just what we were doing, but a bit more. scare them off either. No, exactly. Right. So you're like, oh, it's like eh, probably about X amount. And then it probably ended up, they probably ended up paying twice what we said it was. And in reality, the, if we'd charged all the hours, four it probably would have been four times as much. Yeah. Yeah. And now we're in, no doubt, the same sort of position you're in where there's so much trust there from the start with the clients that 
they're reasonably, you know, I, I don't even really do exact estimates now. It's just kind of like, it's going to be at least this much. Right. If that number scares you off, then it's prob- you probably don't want to get on this journey. Right. Uh, We're going to be as fair as you can absolutely be. Yeah. And still, even at this point, yeah. you know what? We're probably going to end up donating some <laughs> yeah. stuff. A good portion. Yeah, a good portion yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Right? I'm sure um, you guys have the same thing. So all our, you know, all of our guys timesheet digitally. I, I just sit down, look at the invoice come in from generated by all the guys' work. And I'm looking at it and I'm going, I can't really charge that for that job. You know, and you, you find yourself just knocking a few hours out here and, yeah. out, and then you think, why am I doing this? Like these guys can afford it. But then I'm like, well, it's not fair. Cause you know, this, he could have, could have nailed that job better the first time. Yep. He's probably repeated some work. Um, but okay. we get, we're going in the right, every project we do is more in the right direction. And the, the key is showing, this goes back to the media thing. The key is showing the detail because the customer doesn't query it if they can really understand how much, how much effort has gone into all of right. those little jobs they see on their invoice until it gets to body work. <laughs> even then, like, even then it's, it's difficult because yeah. it's just sanding, sanding. You're like put it yeah, on, sand eight it hours sanding. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, it is. But even then you, there's, there's certainly an element you can do. So we, uh, we use an app actually called global workshop, um, where the customer gets like a build timeline on their phone. Um, and each each member of staff has the app on their phone. They photograph literally exactly what they're doing all the time. So, it, you know, it, it could be as detailed, the feed the customer gets as, you know, sand, block sanding front wing, like 320 grit, 120 grit, 600 grit, whatever it might be. And you know, a few pictures, yeah, so it's fairly boring to look at, but you can suddenly, when you see this massive timeline, you get this timeline. Well, they're kind of condensed into, you know, yeah, like, into sort of daily updates, but when you see that, suddenly you're like, well, okay, yeah, it does make sense. They're doing so, a lot yeah, of work, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, it's always hard to justify to yourself, you know, the number and the hours in it, but then, you like, you look at the guys in the shop and the level of talent that you have mm-hmm. that probably not anybody else out there that could have done it any quicker and you're doing something for the most part that no one else has done almost every single time on a car. Yeah. It's not like you're and replacing a fender or bolts. Ultimately the hours are only there because they wanted to do a good job. Right. You know, they're not, the they're not problem charging. Is, is we're all too, we're all, we're all in the industry. We all create for the most part friendships with our customers. We all love what we're doing. We always want to do a good job and you want to please that customer. But the problem with that is we are, at the end of the day, craftsmen. We are specialists, and mm. all the guys that we employ are specialists. When you hire a guy to come out and fix your HVAC system, right, and he says it's a minimum of $250 pounds, mm. right, and <laughs> it, and he does it in, in 40 minutes, that guy doesn't look at and he's like, Ugh, dude, I feel bad about charging this. Yeah. I'm only gonna tra-. He yeah. charges you exactly <laughs> what he says, and he walks on out the door. Yeah. And you're like, these guys are making the money, you know, yeah. but it's, it's the – you know, they're not that guy, yeah. that technician's not friends with that household that he comes to. And it's mm. like, I want to take care of you. So you call me again for your HVAC. He's probably never going to yeah. see you again. You know, and this is a, it's a, it's a passion based business. You know, that guy's not going to go home and show his wife or kids what he's been doing that day. Yes. You know, you or I yep. probably do. Yep. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Well, that's awesome. Um, the, so as, as it starts progressing, right. Well, first of all, before we jump too far, what were you and your brother doing before you said had that conversation that hey we want to start this that, that's always a good question actually I, I was a bar manager okay <laughs> so nothing to do with cars cars was just a totally a, a hobby for me um 
My brother's uh, a qualified engineer, and he was working for a rubber extrusion factory that made uh, like sealing systems for cars, so for Toyota and various other manufacturers. He's a wild so man, he, yeah. so he was like a, <laughs> so, so he was he was basically the I think he was a process improvement engineer. So basically, his job was to if there were defects or um, maybe the line could produce things faster, his job was to look into how they could improve the production lines to solve those problems. Um, Previously to that, uh, was the same job in a steel rolling mill, Timkin Bearings, you've probably heard of yep. them. So there was a steel mill in the UK, uh, and he was process improvement manager at a Timkin steel rolling mill, doing the tubes that bearing races are made from. So he's, he's always been agric- uh, uh, engineering-based. Um, but, you know, my, my, it was kind of like, and this, this actually carries on now to this day, he's totally the engineering side of, I can see of the our bin, business the bins and the organization in the background <laughs> yeah, and stuff yeah. like that well that, to be fair that's not necessarily him but okay it's, he's kind of this mad professor that just comes up with these amazing engineering solutions for things so you know when we uh, take on a project and we want to design our own suspension systems for it or that sort of thing it, it's him it's totally him you know he, he'll go through all the maths on everything and work out all the geometry and you know get things how he wants it from an engineering perspective my general input is the cosmetic side of it like i want it to look a certain way and in the early days that was a clash and now it's this quite nice harmony where he'll be like oh we need to do this we need to do this we need to do this and i'll be like yeah but that's not going to look very good like how can we make that look better and then he sort of now accepts that and is like "Mm, okay yeah you're right how can we make that look better and kind of between the two of us we generally come to a, a solution for things that works well and looks good at the same time and that's that's kind of that's what hot rod building's all all about right. really isn't it you know it's it's, it's got to work it's got to look good but it in this might be something a lot of hot rod builders don't care about but it's got to work well as well <laughs> it does yep. yeah you've, you've been around long enough you, you know the inner working uh it works done next it, yeah versus yeah. Uh, well that's uh that's good to hear on the 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 two different mindsets of the business and being being brothers as well, working together and stuff mm. like that. So it's, it's pretty cool. The uh, what as you're progressing, so you get those out there. You're putting more and more stuff on Facebook at that point in time, and so more builds come in. When was the first American? Or were you interested in that stuff at that yeah. point? Yeah, and we wanted to build one. Or not from the very start, but I'd say by the time we were following you guys, 2013, 2014, yes. Uh, our first American build was one that we've not completed, and you'll be all too familiar with the sideline project thing, I'm sure. But uh, we did a 69 Camaro, although I always say Camaro and then get shot down brutally on YouTube. But yeah, <laughs> 669 Camaro, which was a really ambitious project, and I think we may still get to finish it one day. Um, we, yeah, we built our own chassis, which we were kind of 50% of the way through. It was going to be, it's much like you guys, actually. It was going to be C6 Corvette geometry, C6 uprights and spindles. Uh, we had an axle built by somebody, I forget the name of now, uh, over here. Um, we pretty much built the whole body from new panels because the original body was, there wasn't really much usable on it. And then that therein lies its own set of challenges because all the replacement body panels are terrible, so... You know, all the work in trying to sort that out. We were doing flush glass on it. We were going to do um, rocker arm suspension. So we were going to have C6 uprights, um, our own fabricated wishbones to C6 geometry. But then we were going to have, we, what we wanted was adjustable ride height, but we didn't want airbags because they've got that kind of fundamental issue of the higher you go, the higher the spring rate is, which is 
the opposite of what you want, really. Right. So we were going to have push rods to rocker arms to then have longitudinal coilovers on the chassis legs, uh, frame rails to you. <laughs> and uh, on the end of that, hydraulic actuators, so we could use the hydraulics to change the ride height, but then you'd still have a normal coilover in there, so you could keep the spring rates the same, yeah, and keep the damping rates, you know, uh, on normal coilover dampers. So that was the plan with it. Um, and we got a lot of the body done and a lot of the chassis done, and then it got sidelined, and it has been. It's still at our place now. Uh, we are... Now in the latter stages of a '68 Camaro, which is really shaping up something special. That was like a, one of these bills that just spirals because originally it was going to be um, kind of like your Survivor Series cars. So we were going to leave the paintwork alone, do a nice interior in it, uh, do a chassis swap on it, LS3, make a nice job of the suspension, uh, and then as we got into it, we realised the body it was. The body looked immaculate. It had been restored. It was bought from a fairly prestigious dealership over here. Um, but it was terrible. It was just full of filler. Bondo to you. Yes. Okay, so... Uh, <laughs> or filler. Or filler <laughs> yeah. as well. It's a common word. Yeah, um, yeah like everywhere. I had this heart-wrenching conversation with the, the guy we built it for where we'd kind of stripped it down and we'd noticed when we had it, we had it on like a rotisserie and we'd seen some little pinholes on the underside and we were like, because there's holes there, but they don't go all the way through. And then we realised somebody had glued another set of floor pans inside the, the floors. And then the quarter panels, we could see some massive weld lines from the inside where it was kind of an overlapped weld and it looked distorted. And we Is were it like, not amazing mm. when you look at the stuff that they do to hide that yeah. it basically took well, yeah, longer. more work. Yeah. <laughs> it took way longer to do it the wrong way. Totally. This is exactly one of those cars. And <laughs> saying that has reminded me of another car we did. Uh, similar story. It was a Ford Cortina, and I've never seen such artistry and filler work. You know where you have a door skin and you've got the frame, and the skin is clinched around the frame like this. So from the back, there's a little line of metal. Well, that had obviously rotten away, so they just welded down the edge of the door to attach it. But then to make it look like it was still original, they'd actually created in filler, sculpted the return edge. On the inside of the door. That's skill. We looked at that and we thought, that would have taken more work yeah. than just replacing the door skin. <laughs> it's just crazy. But yeah, this, this, I want to know what kind of filler they use because like, you can't see shit in something that was done like that. But then you'll have a car that's just a tiny, tiny skim coat and you'll find a, an imperfection yeah. that explodes. 100, yeah. 100 degree weather for in one weekend at a car show, and you're like, oh, yeah. crap, that's coming back. Yeah, yeah, or you can a little bit of sinkage here. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, that, that's got a street sign, a bale of hay, and like a full chicken coop underneath it. That <laughs> and look, and it looks better. perfect. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly it. This Camaro looked absolutely perfect. And then we would started, you know, I spoke to the guy, I said, look, we, we've got to dig at this. I can't, I can't leave it because if we build this car and then it starts rusting out, you're going to be crying, you know, we've got to pull it all apart again. We need to find this out now. So we started just digging grinders into it and everywhere we dug on the quarters, there was like half an inch of filler. So yeah, ended up, we ended up replacing like almost every panel on it. And it, it's just one of those stories we've seen time and time again, where people go out and tr try and buy a really good donor. And you think you, all you, you wanted to get one that had never been restored. That's the best donor yep. because you can see everything there is, but they, Sometimes go out there and think, wow, this one's shiny. We'll, we'll get this one. And yep. you're like, you could have just saved your money and bought the cheapest one there was. Did they put, at the first restoration, did they put full quarters on it or half flaps? They'd put, yeah, on that, they'd put half quarters in it with a terrible, they hadn't even butt welded it. It was like yeah. an overlapped weld and it was distorted to hell and they just flattened it all out with filler. 
Um, there's so much more welding in doing that one. And you got less seams if you do a full quarter unit. Yeah, up at the, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just funny how many times yeah. that's when you come you think across. think it's skill set, like they just don't have the skill yeah. to do it or don't have the know-how or don't have the care, and it's just like, yeah, we'll just get this done. Yeah, yeah I don't know. It's, yeah, I don't know. I mean, to his everyone who's talked about it, it's like it'd be way less work to do it the right way. Right. But I can see, like, not that it's the, not that it's right or excused, but on the on the filler sculpting, right? Sometimes that does come down to the skill, but it's also because that guy was, you know, whoever did it before. Sometimes it's body shop work, right? And they're not they don't do metal mm. shaping, you know, so they don't do the metal skills. They don't do that, so they can do body work, right, mm. or filler work. And that guy that's doing is trying to, in his mind, he's thinking he's trying to do a good job. So we've seen stuff he's doing on like phenomenal filler work, phenomenal <laughs> filler work. We've seen stuff like on floor pans, whatever, of like filler and fiberglass of recreating like stamping lines, yeah, you making know, all the stuff, beads, making yeah. all the beads yeah. and stuff, and it's fully out of fiberglass or fully yeah. out of resin or filler, or filler. Yeah. And you're like, holy shit, that was a lot of time. Yeah. Like, we don't like, we call it finger fucking, but we don't like edging out stuff like on bead rolls that we put in in body work let alone creating one out of filler you know yeah. what i'm saying like that would be yeah anyway it's, we're going off i, th- I think it's i think it's just that people don't have the vision to see the whole job through so they see the little bit that's in front of them and they think well yeah i've got a rusty wheel well uh, we'll just cut it out and weld some metal in they don't think about the next step and that oh that's going to need a load of filler over it right and then it's like oh yeah that's now going to need a load of filler over it so then they have to do that because it's too late so right. <laughs> Those are the probably the worst conversations to have with a customer, though, aren't they? When you know the car is just yeah, they probably spent a lot of money on it, brought it to you to yeah. do your thing with it, and you know yeah. they're going to spend a ton more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the thought of like you didn't need to spend this much on the donor car, you might as well have just bought the cheapest one you could find because it would have needed the same amount of work. Yep. We so, had a guy actually do that. He brought a Chevelle, in and it was just there was nothing left to it, but it was in primer, and this was early in our career. So I'm having that like same, like inner battle. Like, what do I tell this guy? Do I tell him the car is horrible? Call him like, I think we need to find a better car. And I happen to find one on eBay. And this is original grandma car. Never been touched, never been restored. Your car, I think is just too far gone and start like listing all the problems. Mm-hmm. He's like, Oh, I bought the absolute cheapest one I could find. I spent $700 <laughs> to buy that Chevelle. Like, all right, cool. We're throwing that thing the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> it's garbage. <laughs> uh, no sentimental fa- value whatsoever. <laughs> no. Just find me a better one. <laughs> yeah, path of least resistance. Uh, it's interesting. I was watching a couple of videos uh, yesterday. Um, your take um, on building stuff as a whole, um, but specifically on individual parts, and some of it's on American-based companies. I'm seeing you're doing the Camaro, uh, the coil covers. You're, you know, Holly modifying mm. them you're like oh they've made for different coil packs we'll mm. figure that out we'll do this um i think i know the answer and it's probably because of the cars you started building at the beginning but are, were you surprised about the american manufacturers industry of things that how good they were or how difficult it was on some stuff to to work together um i think i think the thing that probably amazed me initially is just because the market here is so big there's so much available new aftermarket but then that good feeling goes downhill really fast because most of it's terrible yes which you only find out when you've spent hundreds of dollars shipping it over to the uk 
Um, so yeah, it's it's a bit of a mixed bag. I mean, the Holly, you know, those you're talking about those Holly cam coil covers we were using on that Camaro build, which actually they they fine, you know, they do yes. the job well. We uh, the coil packs they weren't designed for the coil packs we were using, but all we had to do was machine the holes out a little bit bigger, which was fine, and it's it's cheaper to do that than to buy new eight new coil packs. Right. Yeah, so there was no reason to do that. Um, well, my, I think my point or my biggest takeaway when I was watching that, it just kind of dawns on me. I'm like, y'all are, first of all, it's a little different because like you said, you're having to spend $100 in shipping and you're also having to wait time, mm -hmm. right, for those parts to come in. You also, you said that in the video, I knew when I was purchasing them, it wasn't made for these coil packs. Mm -hmm. But I was going to get them and then figure it out yeah. based on how we needed to. You know, mounting holes were fine, but it canted the, the plug outlet a little different. So you ovaled the holes. But it wasn't a... Well, we we can't go on. What do we do? No. Throw the hands up. You know, it was it was figuring it out. And I, I think we've talked about this on this podcast a bunch of times that we've been in this for a long time, twenty plus years, right? The aftermarket and all the manufacturers as a whole have came a long way. Mm. Parts are getting way better. Um, the problem as things get better and better and better, you become accustomed to them always being good. Well. Mm. This part could be the greatest part known to man. It'll never have a failure. And this part can also be pretty good. However, these two parts were never thought about designed to mm. work together. So because this part doesn't bolt up and allow this part to bolt up, doesn't mean any either of the parts no, suck. No, no, no. Right? Sorry. It's just that this guy couldn't build these motor mounts with every single header yeah. manufacturer in mind. Yeah. Right? These headers are a great header. But he didn't build that header with this guy's motor mounts in mind. Yeah, absolutely. And that mentality, sometimes because we've become so accustomed to it or lazy, thinking that, boom, it's a great part from a great manufacturer, mm. it will bolt up. Well, it bolts up to the thing it was supposed to bolt up to. But maybe there's five things around mm. it that those guys had no idea that you were using or they couldn't engineer around it. Yeah. You know, accessory drives, for instance. We've got that. We, we see a lot of it on the chassis side of things because it's – our chassis, say for a 69 Camaro, it will bolt on a spec chassis, will bolt directly to the body of a Camaro. No problem, right? However, an LS3 and a T56 will also bolt directly into that chassis, right? Small little trans tunnel for the T56, nothing for the TKO. Now, there's how many different radiator manufacturers that you could use mm -hmm. for a radiator? How many different accessory drives? that you could use, how many different headers, fans, shrouds. how many fans, shrouds, stuff like that. So there is, there's a multitude that will work, but however, we can't say, yeah. here's 200 different manufacturers, these 50 we know will work, these other 150 yeah, maybe, yeah. you know, that it's difficult when you get to that point where the guys are like, well, the radiator doesn't fit. Call yeah. a roadster shop, you know? Yeah. And you want to be like, yeah, we'll walk, we'll walk you through it, when I see you and the way you're doing stuff, it's kind of like, well, we, we're building the car. Mm. We're going to buy the best parts we can, but at the same time, these coil covers weren't designed yeah. to work with yeah. these coils. Yeah, yeah, but totally. these are the coils I want to use, so I'm going to oval the holes out, and I'm going to mm. make it look nice, and nobody's going to ever know anything was done, mm. taking care of the customer versus saying, well, we got to we bought these coil covers because they look cool. Now we need to buy eight new coil <laughs> coil packs just because, you yeah. know, it's yeah, a different yeah, mentality yeah. of Definitely, building yeah. a car versus putting a car together. Yeah. But I think yeah. a lot of that is too, because you're building, you're started out building and you're still building cars that you can't, there's not a really an aftermarket for, I mean, some of the stuff you're no. doing, you're building everything no. from scratch. So you're accustomed to doing it already. Mm. And that, I guess that links into that decision about those coil covers was, 
we could have we could have made our own you know we could have designed and machined our own covers but actually in that instance my first thought wasn't let's go straight and machine around because you know there's, there's going to be hours in that there'll be a few thousand pounds worth of machining it's, it's a lot of money and actually what do we want from these well we want to cover the coil packs we want to keep the oil in we want to be able to fill the oil and we want them to look a certain way and i so let's just have a look what's out there first you know that's that's the first thought and i guess that subconsciously that's keeping the customer at, you know at the back of my mind because i could have just made a ton more money by making custom ones right. um but you know they look like they would do the job and as with all the sort of bespoke aftermarket parts you've got you've got to go this is what you're basically saying is you've got to assume that there might be some work to do for your particular application the, the problem we we've had with like aftermarket parts is that is like the oe replacement stuff and it's the same in the uk like uh, we've we do tons of stuff for jaguars and uh you know mgs and stuff like that and the problem really comes from the the end customer wanting everything to be cheap and that kind of forces reproduction manufacturers to cut corners on making the parts send send out to get them made in you know china or wherever yep and then it's like you're people are surprised when they're bad and you think well yeah but you wanted to pay like twenty dollars for this part which realistically if we were making this as a machined part would be like 500 or more so obviously it's not going to be as good if there was a quarter panel I mean, you see it on when there was nos stuff you know nos brought a premium you know but if there was a four thousand dollar 69 camaro quarter panel right that was like oe tooling clicks right into place mm. and all that and then there's the hundred and forty dollar you know i know yeah, I, don't, I don't know how they ship some of the stuff here for the price <laughs> yeah. they sell yeah. Hardboard yeah. Cost. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and you had say the company you know gave them those two options we all know apps astronomically more mm. of the sales that they would have yeah the guy's like i'm not paying four thousand dollars for a quarter pack. yeah that's ridiculous eight thousand dollars for two of them <laughs> yeah but then you look at how much labor goes yeah. into making the other yeah, one good. Like 100 hours to put it yeah. on and make it fit yeah. kind of all comes out. And then, and then you as a hot rod builder, you're the one who then has the questions over, like, well, how does it take that long to do that? Right. Because you yeah. wanted to pay $100 for a course. Right. And it's, yeah, like you said, it's over time, it's over time. And then a new a new company wants to start up, you know, and they're going to find a new supplier or the same supplier, and they're going to make their business by shaving a couple more dollars off of it, right? So they're going to do a, con a stamped control arm for four bucks cheaper, right? Mm. And they're going to get their SEO optimization. So they're going to come up mm. again. So the guy that's going to buy his, you know, stamped lower control arms for his Chevelle restoration or whatever is like, oh, those are cheaper. Yeah. Or the wife's buying them for a gift or something like that. And well, these are the cheapest ones I could find. They're all the same. Yeah. They're control arms. They've got to fit. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I think no. there's, been a, there's been a pretty good split, though, of a lot of companies that have noticed that and gone the complete different way yeah. and set out to build a better significantly better product that does cost more they're not doing the volume but right i think it's apparent looking at them if you know what you're looking at absolutely mm. i think that's what's great too is again both sides of it we've most of these manufacturers have also dealt with these same things and they're like we've got to do better mm. you know we don't want our customers going through the same stuff that we've been having to go through buying other people's parts yeah. you know and it it has it's gotten the stuff has gotten great if a if a part doesn't do what that part's supposed to do like if you buy a brake kit and the car doesn't stop that's a problem with that manufacturer's you know mm. now if you buy a brake kit that your custom wheels don't fit on it's not the brake manufacturer's no. fault right well i mean that you should have told me that i had to get a custom wheel <laughs> well <laughs> you're buying brakes like, yeah. I'll, I'll sell you all the brakes you want you know 
but that's just the mentality because it's it's things have gotten so much easier than they once were. Mm. And you got younger builders coming up and stuff, and they didn't they didn't have to go through the struggle, you know, as much mm. on parts, you know, figuring things out in the past because yeah. there wasn't the manufacturers out there. And you get you get this intuition after a while, but it takes so long to get there. 10 years probably and, and you get this feel and I can't define what it is but when you're browsing parts you kind of get a feel for yeah that's probably that's a reasonable price and it's probably going to do the job pretty well and then you're like mm, too yeah, good to be true yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then you know the, it's such a minefield now because there's so many people out there chancing their luck that you will assume because something's more expensive it's better so they'll have the same imported part that somebody's selling for like $50 and they'll just chance their luck art it up a bit, take some better pictures, write some better description about it and sell it for like three times the price. And you go, well, actually, that's that's probably better. It does look It's exactly better. the yeah, same it's a thing. It's way better website. That <laughs> yeah. website looks more professional. Yeah, exactly. I so told you that we were, we were buying these chairs, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, what was that website that I was on? Uh, Wayfair. Yeah. They'll show the same exact chair in like five different backgrounds and one of them is $100 and one of them is $900. Yeah. And you're like... Exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take go the for one the for chest. 400 right in the middle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's probably better quality, but if it's not, I'm not <laughs> yeah. getting fucked as bad. Yeah, yeah. Same warehouse, yeah. same orders coming yeah. in. Those guys. And the scary thing is, like that that type of purchasing where you just look at the pictures, read the description, is now starting to spread to much more expensive things. So people buy cars like that now, like new cars. They'll be like, yeah. oh, this this looks good. The review's good. It's a five star review. Yep. I'll buy it. And then before you know it, you've just spent. $40,000 on something which you then have to live with for two years hating it. <laughs> what does the uh, aftermarket side look like uh, for all the European cars and stuff good. that you're normally building? Yeah, good, good. Um, uh, perhaps not so much for the stuff we're normally building because we're kind of building some really out there, obscure, oddball yeah, oddball stuff. Um, but yeah, for like VW, Audi, Jaguar... Um, there's there's a pretty decent supply. The stuff we're doing, I guess, is largely more like your really big build projects where you're kind of just throwing it all away and starting from scratch with everything. Yeah, everything yeah. Anyway. So the, most of the cars we're building, the some of the body is probably more or less the original, but almost everything else is just we're just start from scratch with it, you know. And so all the suspension systems are totally redesigned whether whether we use parts from other cars or whether we design it all from scratch so though the, we're building um a pair of mark one escorts at the minute ford escorts you probably saw that we previously built a mark one escort for gordon murray who's like a car designer mm -hmm. he'd be designing mclaren f1 yes um we were commissioned to build kind of his one of his sort of daily cars and it's a, a mark one escort that we've totally reimagined underneath so it had independent rear suspension instead of the live axle Ford Duratec kind of modern Ford engine Cosworth Cosworth built that for us um really cool like but all the suspension was one-off stuff there was literally not a single part of it that was bought from you know a, right an aftermarket Anything. part supplier right. yeah so it's much like you building your own chassis making your own wishbones and you know I've seen your machining centers and stuff down there you're making almost everything and we're kind of pushing the door of that now where a That's lot cool. of the builds it's just like it's just not worth trying to go down trying to go oh maybe this will work build the car test it mm, it's not as good as we hoped we might as well just design it how we want it in the first place um so yeah the aftermarket part supply thing t 
doesn't tend to affect us that much these it's days. It's all fine and dandy until it's like lock mechanisms or yeah, uh, that's a good you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. window whiskers or internal yeah. trim yeah. stuff. That, like, yeah, and that, in, in those instances, that a lot of the builds we're doing recently will swap those bits out for more modern things that are available new from the manufacturer. Okay. So, for instance, we're doing um, a Morris Miner at the minute, which is, if you know what one of those is, little. It's the little purple one that you're doing? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, that is the outer bodywork is essentially. Still Morris, but we fabricated wider wings on it. Fenders. Um, <laughs> and it's all uh, Master MX-5 underneath, so it's all Miata. Me- me- yeah, buddy. <laughs> you know all about that. <laughs> so rear axle, uh, it's got the backbone, the gearbox, all the front subframe. Um, the only thing we changed uh, f- away from Miata is the engine. So it's a Ford ZTEC, 2-litre on individual throttle bodies, 200 horsepower. It's a little bit smaller than the Duratec that they got in the Miata. Um, but on that, yeah, one of the things was, well, the doors, the door the door latch and lock mechanisms, we weren't happy with. They were just like a bolt, like a round pin with a chamfer on it. And they were notorious in the day for just flying open when you went around a corner. <laughs> so so, yeah. so that was a, there was a combination of two things. That solution was like, one, we used a latch from a newer car that we knew we could get new still. And we refabricated the back of the door and the pillar to, to do that. And then the second part of it was the handle originally pivoted on like a casting that had the lock in it. And there was no exterior moving parts. So we could not connect any kind of central lock into it. <clears throat> so on that, we we just CAD drew a complete new piece that had the cranks in it to do the lock mechanism movement. We 3D printed them in aluminium. Um, so the final parts are metal 3D prints. Um, and then the handle itself is a billet machined aluminium handle. So it was like it was kind of like piecing together the different things because we could have made the whole latch mechanism, but obviously designing and making a latch mechanism with pressed parts is yeah. going to cost a ridiculous amount of money. So and it's not that cool to look at Morris Minor customer, isn't it? It's yeah, He's absolutely a- <laughs> yeah. He's uh, that's going to be the coolest Morris in the country, I'm sure. It's it's uh, a project I'm very proud of. <laughs> yes, I was pretty impressed with like. Looking at a lot of the videos, it seems like you guys are really at a similar pace with us on taking on all the modern technology and using that in these old cars. Is that kind of where you see the future of the business going? That's that's generally where we're trying to... Our customers are basically people who love the look uh, of an older car. They want it to feel a little bit more modern to drive, but not... But not so modern, it's lost the, the character soul. because, you know, most new cars, they just don't... There's no connection. There, yeah, right? there's no connection. It's the emotional side of it. And that actually links quite well to it. A lot of people say, are oh, you going to do an electric conversion? And that, that scene in the UK is massive. People electric converting classics. And it's just so far away from what I think, what has driven us to be where we are. Because it's all about the, it's the emotional connection, like the sensory thing, like the noise, the, the feel of everything. So you're telling yeah. me a guy driving around in a Tesla doesn't have any emotional connection to that well, throttle Well, I, I drive an electric car as my daily car. Do you? Yeah. But do you have because no more emotional connection no, to it? It's no. just transportation. It's, yeah. It's like <laughs> I have a 10-mile drive to work and back. It might as well and be it, a rental and it car does, Yeah, exactly. It does the job really well, you know, and I, I can set it to get to the right temperature before I get in it in the morning. It's not icy. You know, there's so right. many cool features about that. But when I want to go on a drive at the weekend, that's the last car I would possibly think about driving. It's, it's, there's no enjoyment there for me other than, well, there is enjoyment, but the enjoyment is that it gets me to work really easily and it's warm and comfortable. Right. <laughs> but at the weekend, I don't care about those things. You know, it's, it, I want something that gives me the buzz, you know, it gives me the thrill and, and 
has to feel and makes me feel like I'm part of it. You know, I want to shift gears and rev and, you know, right. do all the things that make you feel like you've worked to achieve that, you know, even though it's just making a journey. Well, I think what Phil's saying and you're echoing too, it's that is what a lot of people are doing. And that's what we've been doing for quite some time and you're doing it as well. But it's also, it's a little more difficult to do than just to say, you know, so you don't mm. want to lose the, it, there was once a time not so long ago, we were still saying the same thing. So we were going to put some modern features in an old car, you know, so you're going to make it stop better and you're going to put larger wheels and tires and you're going to put a new fuel injected motor, you know, and you're going to do some of that stuff. Well, that's still the same mentality, but the mentality is continuing to get more hyper-focused as we go. And there's things that you would take, uh, take for granted or just learn to live with. And each time, each year goes by, you say, we're not going to live with those things anymore. To your yeah. point on the door latches, right? There was a time 10 years ago where the 69 Camaro would just shut like a 69 Camaro, you know? It would stop awesome, had great power, seal up good, was fairly quiet on the inside, and th but the door would just shut the way the door was. And so it was yeah. like, we can't, it can't be this way anymore. The door needs to shut better. Yeah. It's a, move, it's a moving target. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think the technology helped out with that because, like, from your point, you couldn't recreate a cast aluminum door handle or a pot metal door handle. There was no way to do anything mm -hmm. with it until you had the 3D scanning, the engineering, the being able to 3D print a prototype and then machine the actual. Like a lot of those parts, you just, you had to put them on because there was no other alternative right, yeah. to get around it. Yeah. Right. It was, yeah. Um, well, I, I want it to be like this. Well, how, how are you going to, yeah. when you're dealing with cast parts back in the day, you know, pot metal part, it's, it's going back yeah. on the way it is. What yeah. are you going to do? <laughs> exactly. You yeah. Know? yeah, yeah. Uh, but then, like you said, as, as that progresses, you just like our whole entire thought process is on the products that we're buying and them working together and continue to build, you're expecting more and more out of yourself mm -hmm. and out of that build and to please your customer more at the end of the day because that's what you're – it's still the same thought that was at the very first build that you did for that customer. You still have that same thought now, and you're like, what can I do – better you know what can we do mm. in the glove box where can we hide yeah. it's fine to just put some usb ports you know next to the shifter mm. but it still doesn't look like what mercedes would do so what how do we do things that mm. the oes are doing keep the soul yeah. right yeah. but then there if there's some you can't say your rear view mirror is going to be floppy because it's an old car mm. old cars have soul well yeah but like i want to keep the soul yeah, but, but make my yeah but that, that wasn't that wasn't part of what made it right good yeah. <laughs> so and it's just you fixed all the big problems yeah. so now you're down to refining the small yeah. problems the smallest little thing better. i mean mm. even down to vent windows and stuff i mean yeah. screwing around with yeah vent windows, you can't make those work you can't make them you can't make them work you know and funnily enough on the on that morris they used to have those and we've Totally redesigned the door so it's a single piece glass. That's now. how you make them work. Yeah, yeah you do away with yeah. it. Yeah, basically, yeah, and put aircon in there, which is what we've done. <laughs> yeah. Uh. yeah, but I mean, talking about you know moving targets, another part of all of that is people's expectations, the client's expectation, because it's not just modernizing a car; it's what they feel is a modern car, or what may, what what they like about it. That's actually something I always say when we first get inquiries about building projects. I say, look it's never like a question about what car they want to build. It's like, okay, tell me more about yourself. What's your car history? What cars have you driven? What did you like about them? What did you not like about them? And piecing that bit together gives you more information about what their expectation is. Because right. if, 
you know, like talking about the way the door shuts, if you can clearly tell from the list of cars they've had, they don't care about that, then that's going to be lower on the priority list. Right. Um, so it's, it's a moving target in many ways because it's, it's trying to create what people perceive as a more modern feel in a car, but that perception is different from one person to the next. Besides, uh, you know, EV or uh, any type of motors, wheels, tires, suspensions like that, for, for creature comfort side... Is there a point where you would draw the line of like, we're th- you're, based th- on your request, you're asking for you know a new Maybach, and <laughs> this it will not be. Yeah, uh, there, and- there is. There, there's definitely like when people say, oh, you know, I want it to be comfortable. You've got to be like, like it, this, like we this is what the car we're working with. We can't make it right. Literally feel like a brand new Rolls Royce because they've made it feel like that with millions of pounds worth of development and testing. And realistically, we're trying to hit this first time with almost no testing. We haven't got a second. We haven't haven't got a second go at this. Yeah, Yeah. and you've got like you know maybe gutters and rubber seals and you know the the body shell was never designed to be quiet. That was never right. So yeah, it's but it's all about transparency with the client. You know, making sure they understand that yeah we're going to make this way nicer than it was originally, but it's not going to be like jumping in a new Rolls Royce. We do it. You almost need to make them drive the car first before you've done it. Yeah. Just realize how horrible right. it was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, most of the time it's asking for stuff that you know 100% will not be able to be made to work to their expectations, and then you're going to end up having to warranty that stuff mm-hmm. that you know, like stupid stuff of like 72-way adjustable power seats, you know, <laughs> um, and... Uh, heated seats and cooled seat heated and cooled mm. but automatic based on how the outside ambient temperature and stuff <laughs> like that's like shit you would want I, yeah. I, I, like <laughs> stuff like that i reckon I, I wouldn't draw the line i reckon i'd i'd see that as a challenge the, the the one thing i think that i've sort of considered as a i can't do it at the minute is radar stuff radar cruise automatic braking that kind of thing you know like your new car's got radar oh, yeah, cruise so you can you can keep stuff. it to yeah. a, a fixed distance and realistically, for us to swap that over from another car is going to be like a safety concern. So you have to have them sign something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So safety concern stuff, yeah. I wouldn't touch. The um, seating thing, though, is always, for, for years, has blown me away on, even before it was power stuff, from a customer standpoint, because you deal with the customer, um, you know, you're like, well, can I have some seat adjustment? Before it was manual. Well, I need it to kind of go a little bit further than that, a little bit farther back. And you're like, well, who all is driving the car? Well, no, I'm, this is yeah. way too nice to let anybody drive. Well, let's just sit it where you go. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, I guess I've so. I've got a but great like, uncle I need six to, foot ten. I need to have a, some adjustment. And well, then you get to the power stuff, you know, and you're like, oh, it doesn't doesn't go all the way back as far as I want to. Well, you're driving it, right? Well, I mean, yeah, but what if my wife wants to drive? Are you going to let her drive it? No. Well, then it doesn't matter if the seat fits her or not. You know? <laughs> Barb, I know what you're driving mean, yeah, the car. Yeah. Barb's not driving. There's the sometimes car. requests where you're like, yeah. "Do you really need that?" And yeah, well, I'd, I think my stance would be, I would say that, but if they were Figured dead set out. on it, I'd yeah. be like, "Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll make it work." Oh, yeah. But then there are sometimes constraints. You know, you're talking about heated and cooled seats. That takes up space in the seat. That makes and, them this yeah, and yeah. old cars, they're so much smaller than people think, and you know, height-wise particularly. So sometimes, yeah, I think recently we've done a project, E-Type, um, we're working on at the minute, and it was like, oh, can we do electric seats in it? And I was like, I just don't think we can because we need this. We need your ass to be like this far off the floor and there's no room for motors right. there. And I can't go lower because then 
ground clearance is going to be an issue. I can't make the roof higher because it'll make it look shit. Yep. It, sometimes there are just constraints there which you can't compromise. Well, you could compromise it, but it, having a cooled seat is lower on the priority list than grounding out all the time or the car looking terrible. Right. Yeah, cutting a sunroof so your head will fit through it. <laughs> yeah. Because you can get yeah. It. yeah. Uh, so what... Uh, you touched on the EV side of things. It's good to hear you say that, you know, because we've got the same similar feeling on the, mm. not saying never, but man, it just doesn't have the. No, I think, well, in, I think it's been embraced a lot more in Europe, um, probably because your average person's drive is a lot shorter. Um, I think for a daily car, it makes a lot of sense. Um you know, like I say, my uh, my typical journey is just 10 miles each way. But then I am in an, a sort of fortunate position in that I've got other cars. I was so, going to say, are you going to have uh, a yeah, separate car I do, to go on exactly. trips? I do, exactly. So for me, it makes perfect sense. But then for the average person who's then like, okay, I now want to do a 300-mile journey, the infrastructure just isn't there. There are charging stations at most of our fuel stations, but they're like, they have like two or three charges, and the rate of people adopting electric cars is so fast that those charges are always... Got people at them. But then, I mean, you're sitting there for an hour to get. Yeah, I, was yeah, say, I don't want to hang out at yeah, the yeah, gas yeah. station. I think that there's like a bit of maths I keep saying to people. Like, it's not been thought through because if you think about how long it takes to gas your car, it's like a minute, maybe uh, two minutes, perhaps. And even a quite a quick charging electric is going to be half an hour. So that's like a minimum of 15, if not 30 times longer. So if your average gas station's got what, 20 pumps at it, you're going to need that many times more charging stations right. to, to swap. And that's just not... No, no. And they're like, they're taking 100 kilowatts, 150 kilowatts. That's like your massive overhead cables. You don't, you don't just wire in 100, 100 kilowatt chargers and it'd be okay. Yeah, but you're uh, applying like common sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that doesn't make sense, yeah. Well, I, yeah. I'm extremely narrow-minded on just about everything. Um, and <laughs> Glad we got that out now. Yeah. <laughs> But at the same time, I try to play devil's advocate and and look at both sides of most stuff, knowing that I'm I'm narrow minded. I'm wondering. You I just try to pick the other side apart. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I do. But I I'm wondering. I don't think it's the same. But I'm also wondering, are we those old guys now <laughs> that back in the day when it was, I'm not touching a computer controlled EFI mm. car. You're not putting an LLS and nothing. It's small block, big block. I you know, tune carbureted. Yeah. yeah, I don't want any of that fancy electronic stuff. And it didn't matter how much you told him that what it could sound like or how much horsepower it could make or the better mm. gas mileage it could get. It didn't matter. It yeah. was, nope, this is the, it has no soul. It's, easy. Mm. you know, look at all the computers. Are I, we I, those guys? I, I've had this thought a lot. And I, I think maybe, uh, in all honesty, maybe. But then I always think, you know, I, I got into building cars because I love all the things I've just talked about, you know. So if we started doing electric conversions, I would only be doing it for financial reasons. And that's not why we started our business. That's what it comes down to, really. Like, I, it's not what enthuses me. I, we do this business because of what I was excited by, what I'm passionate about, and I'm not passionate about that. What if you put a bunch of speakers in the boot and made it sound like... No, <laughs> that, that, I've seen a lot of people doing that. Yeah. Borla's no. got a whole no. exhaust yeah. system for it. No, but you, you see, I, I always liken this to a fire. 
So if you were out camping somewhere, you know, you want to light a campfire, it would be way more efficient to have an electric fire in front of you. You know, turn on the bars, three-bar electric fire. It would keep you warm, probably keep you warm more efficiently, and it would be powered by renewable energy. You could power it from solar power or yeah. wind power. But it wouldn't be the same. Right. You still want to gather around a fire. Yeah. And put in a picture of a fire there on a screen. So you have an electric fire with a tablet with a picture of a fire on it, a video of a fire. You're not going to cuddle up that's, with your that's girl. That's not the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> and so think about why it's not the same thing. You're warm. You're being warmed efficiently. You've got the visuals of a fire. So it's the same thing, surely. But it's not, is it? Mm. So why is it not? The, is it the nostalgic? I is it the know. memories? I don't is it know. the thing of what you think it's supposed to be? I don't know. And this is the mystery part of it. I wonder whether it's like it's a, a primitive analogy, thing. Yeah. Is it a primitive part of us that wants to make fire and an engine is making fire and controlling fire? I get where you're going with it. I agree. Maybe. I, think that, I don't know. But you also know where this AI is going and where virtual reality is going. And there's going to be dudes having full-blown relationships <laughs> yeah. and sex yeah. with robots. And a fire that is yeah, like the real thing. Well, adaptive cruise control is driving a bit <laughs> <Yeah>. way. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. But if I'm enjoying, you know, petrol. I'm enjoying burning petrol. And, and actually, I think the future for – we're going to carry on building, you know, internal combustion-powered hot rods. And I think the future of that is actually synthetic fuels because because it's only a uh, – you know, it's going to become just an enthusiast market rather than a daily transport thing. Right. Uh, and most certainly in Europe, a lot of motorsport series are adapt, uh, adopting synthetic fuels because it's a way of powering an internal combustion car without digging it up out of the ground. I'm fine with the EV stuff continuing to push and being more and more mainstream because anything that becomes more and more mainstream makes what we're doing more and more uh, anti-culture or counterculture. Mm. And anything that's counterculture is what's growing faster and it pushes more people to do it because mm. it's more of that, I want to pick a side and I'm going to pick the side against that you've got guys out there that are building hot rods and muscle cars and stuff like that that wouldn't have gotten into it because they're making a life choice of i'm going to be that hardcore man or i'm going to pick gasoline or you know yay america you probably saw a lot of them at the nascar race oh yeah right? oh yeah <laughs> and a lot of shouting whooping yes, hollering <laughs> that, that because it's it's to prove a point you know and it's to say you know i'm going to yeah. do this this yeah. way Especially sticking, if they feel like they're being forced to go another yeah, way. Yeah, sticking it to the man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so the Ford, we got a question here. The Ford Escort <laughs> Mark One, you talked about it, um, that you've built there. What is, is that your 69 Camaro over there? Yeah, it probably is, to be fair. That's a good a good analogy. Yeah, it's it's a car, might even be more of a Mustang. I don't know, but it's a car that, suddenly brought um, a really well-designed car to a huge number of people at an affordable price, which I, I'd probably more of a Mustang, Mustang. I guess. Um, so, yeah, I suppose it's our Mustang, you know, and everybody has a story. Everybody's dad had one. Everybody's you know, dad learned to drive in one, whatever it might be. It's a story car, you know, and it's it, uh, there's so many of them around. That's the other thing, which I see a lot, you know, with the Camaros and Mustangs and stuff here. There's so many of them that, that it feels like the pool of Mark One or Mark Two Escorts will never dry up. You know, it just wow. it feels. I'm sure it will, but you know, it's probably how a Mustang feels here. You feel like there's always going to be one on somebody's drive somewhere. You know, right. we we couldn't believe it. We're dri driving up here. Obviously, we've driven 1,600 miles from Miami. Wow. 
once we got into sort of Tennessee, we we were just going, we, we set it to like avoid motorways. So we were just going down all of the smaller roads. And like one in two people's backyards has got like a C10 truck in it or a yeah. Mustang yeah. or something. Most just of the motors are already <laughs> hanging from the tree above it. <laughs> yeah. So you can just... <laughs> yeah, it was just... That, that yeah. we found incredible because you just don't see that in the UK. There are lots of cars hidden away, but here it felt, it felt like every other house had a old truck or car parked out the back. But yeah, it's the Mark 1 Escort's definitely kind of our Mustang in that everybody's got a story about one. There's lots of them around. They kind of relate so... Our general rule of thumb is everything we're building is either what the customer had when they were in high school or what their parents had growing up that there's some emotional tie to. Yeah. Um, you see, you definitely see there's a generational thing and you see it in the values of cars as well. Like you know, the cars that are suddenly peaking in value now in in Europe, uh, late 80s, BMWs or Jap stuff, you know, like Skylines, the, the Gran Turismo generation. So it's like R33, R34 Skylines or um, th- things of that era, basically. E- even like E36 BMW 3 Series M3s, uh, certainly E30s. We're actually involved in a, a resto mod uh, E30 M3 series that we're building. 30 cars um, Ooh, wow. with full carbon, full carbon bodies, uh, all carbon exterior, Billet everything basically, like I can't even begin to describe how many billet parts there are. Like expansion tanks, power steering tanks, every all the dash fascia, all the center console, virtually every part that was plastic on it is now machined from solid. But really, cool. we'll we'll talk about that maybe, maybe uh, off air. But it's a cool project. Wow. <laughs> the uh, tell me about the I can't ever pronounce it the correct way. I say Ford. No, it's Jaguar. Uh, LS three project you did years ago yeah that 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 had a huge following like, it was uh, all aw- the car I, looks awesome i've always yeah. thought those cars look cool and then to put you know v8 american mm. power in it how did that come about it came about because the client came to us and said i want a jaguar xj coupe um i want it with a bit more of a modern reliable drivetrain and he actually said could we do the supercharged jag v8 um and we, we've, we've had this a lot. We've done a few other. We did two LS3-powered Mercedes resto mods. And actually, when you look at it, all the facts, all roads lead to LS3. And it's not, in the UK, it's not as cliched as it is over here to do that. You know, it's, right. there's not people doing that. Because um, it's just a win. Like, it's lighter, more reliable, more powerful, cheaper. <laughs> there's literally no negatives to it's it. It's in everything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so so we were like, yeah, you would be better off going LS3, and then we'll use like the, I don't know, it's probably a 4L65 transmission, something like that. Um, it just gives you, because you can get them from GM with like a pre-mapped ECU, which is so nice. For, for normal road use, it's so nicely mapped. You know, you just start it up on a cold day, it ticks over perfectly. It just makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, that's, that's how that came about. And then we did a few subtle, that was probably the first kind of, resto mod where we did quite a lot of body changes and um over a standard yeah that's the car and uh yeah it it put us on the map a lot for that kind of a bigger modified car and we didn't even change that much it's that's the amazing thing is you perhaps would look at that and think we must have changed everything on it and we changed the valance at the front there we changed we slimmed the bumpers down and pulled them in we changed the rear uh, wheel wells, so they're actually they go higher up the body. Normally, the original one it kind of cuts across the tire line, so we change them up. 
we did some bespoke little rear quarter um, bumpers on it. Um, but the, the pillarless design with that uh, sort of full open side on it when you put the windows down is standard and it looks stunning. Yeah. Um, they had vinyl roofs. They all had vinyl roofs originally. So one of the biggest things, the biggest changes is just deleting that vinyl roof. And we, we removed quite a lot of unnecessary trim. Yeah, we made those little quarter bumpers and changed the design of the rear valance, put different exhaust tips on it. Um, but yeah, it just really worked. And we've had so, that's the car we get asked about so much that we're actually considering doing a little run of those cars maybe watch this space on that but yeah <laughs> i've got two more builds booked in of those and it's getting to the point where we're wondering about doing maybe a little production run um that's some uh, interestingly that's something that you guys have never kind of adopted as i've seen like um jonathan ward so uh, he's done his little Broncos or F100s as it he does. Um, we just started. We just launched oh, okay. serial number one uh, about a month ago at Barrett Jackson. So yeah. what's so what's that going to get smart? So the Legend series is uh, the run of four wheel drive square body trucks. Ah, cool. Okay. So those yeah. will be all. It's completely designed from the ground up, engineered from ground up. About close to four years of engineering, develop, pro- mm. prototype, driving, testing. Um, so now the first one just sold at Barrett Jackson, and we've got another, I don't know, close to a dozen or something that we're building yeah. right now for. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome because that's the thing that we see as a way we can expand a bit more. Because you'll know that doing like one-off bespoke cars, it's such a hard thing to scale up. Oh no, we've been because fine. I mean, we've been super profitable at it. And you can <laughs> yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah. So, so you guys, you guys have got the yeah. chassis, the chassis build shop, to kind of to really like pin the business down, yeah. earn the money, Absolutely. and then you can have a bit of fun with the other stuff. Although I'm sure you know it's it's still pretty serious stuff, but we don't really have that because not really any European cars are separate chassis type cars. So doing a chassis swap is just not something anybody ever thinks of. So we're kind of thinking, well, how, what can we do? that's a repeatable because it's when you get that repeatable thing where you can literally write a manual for it and like right. you know you train train somebody up. Minor door <laughs> yeah exactly exactly <laughs> so you, you know you want to be able to just train somebody up to do this repeatable work um, we enjoy spending like 500 hours engineering a one-off set of taillights that go on one car and then we throw the file away <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're never seen again yeah yeah i mean it's, all of that stuff is is awesome fun it's what i love doing but it, as you as you're basically saying it's it's not a great money spinner um so it's nice to have, it, it's nice to have potentially something else that would be more repeatable and more expandable and that's where we kind of think where we can't do something like your chassis shop we could do little limited run you know resto mod kind of like the singer porsche sort of thing but in other other models where we could you know get build one prototype iron out all the niggles with that, do a lot of testing with it, and then go, right, we're going we're gonna to tool up to do all of the bespoke parts for this, buy a load of shells, and, you know, churn out 10 or 15. So it's still really, really exclusive. It's still a small, the, small run. But for my opinion, that, that Jaguar, Jag, Jaguar, I can't Nailed say it. It's Jaguar. Jag, it, it's Jaguar. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's exactly that what I said. American as fuck right there. It sounded good. It sounded like Dale Jr. saying it. <laughs> <laughs> so Jaguar, that to me would be, hit right at home because I've you really can never tell unless you are an enthusiast you can never really tell what year it is mm. it could be a late 70s it yeah. could be a mid 2000s yeah and it but it's always classic uh it's just got a look it, mm. it, I love that car I'm sitting here looking at it now I think they do well over here as well oh yeah. they do amazing yeah uh, Ooh, I, I feel, I feel a joint venture going on here yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, tell us about the. Oh, you want to hear about the carbon fiber one? They said he can't talk about this. Yeah, that'll be after hours. The the Alpha, the blue car there, uh, that is a cool thing. That's an Alpha 105 uh, GT Junior. Um, And on that, the guy, the client came to us. He said, I want one of those. Um, There's a company in the UK called Alpha Holics who who do a little production run of them. It's called GTAR 290, I think it's called. Um, 290 horsepower per tonne. That's where that number comes from. Uh, And he said to me, look, I want one like theirs, but I want it to be a lot more powerful. I want it to be as fast as any M-series BMW around any UK track. That was the remit. (laughs) And uh, so we, but he wanted it four-cylinder. So we went to an engineering company in the UK called Millington who do uh, motorsport four-cylinder naturally aspirated engines. And they built us an engine, which is a 2.7-litre four-cylinder that's making way over 300 horsepower, naturally aspirated from a 2.7-litre. Um and we've got a sequential gearbox in it. We designed our own rear suspension. Um, it's a De Dion setup, which is like a it's like a solid beam that actually locates the wheels, but the diff isn't in that. The diff's mounted to the body like an independent setup. Okay. Um, so you get the characteristics of a live axle, but not the unsprung weight, because um, we wanted it to kind of still feel like the original did with a live axle. Um, and then we did carbon fiber, so it's got carbon fiber doors, bonnet, and boots. Uh, we gutted the boot floor and made that an, all, an aluminium uh it ended up oh. weighing eight eight hundred and seventy kilos oh wow uh, and it's three kilos a little over 300 horsepower you're thinking pounds i was so really kilos, for a car. yeah kilo is, so that's double in pounds so yes uh, 1600 pounds um super light yeah and three 300 horsepower uh naturally aspirated so it's just like all there straight away there's no lag or anything it's just insane to drive it's wow. just and a sequential box so it's just visceral like noise gear shifting yeah it's just incredible um and then actually the one at the top there that was our first completely bespoke interior build that's a mercedes uh w108 um which has an ls3 in it funnily enough um and this is the first time we made everything from scratch on the interior so all of that console it's just um, aluminium panels that we've had hydro dipped with the wood grain aluminium fabricated dash there's a screen. You can just see that little outline on the t- top of the dash in the middle. That's a screen that pops up. Oh, wow. Kind of, we did like a fabricated quadrant that sort of rotates around and a screen comes up on the dash. Um, yeah, you can see it there. Uh, and then actually Classic Instruments built us the instruments on that. So we, we quite often use American that's, <laughs> manufacturing, weirdly. Um, I think we made a lot of this. So the gear indicator is, that's another American company. Uh Forget the name of them now, uh, and then we it's BM Shifter as well. So it's like all Bunch American, in it. <laughs> yeah. Hot Rod Mercedes, the Redneck yeah. Mercedes. And then I think yeah. we did. If you go four or forward or backwards to the yeah the console, so we did like a. This is one of the first three prints we ever did. That air ride controller and the audio controls. The red bit is a three D print that we've then flocked with like a burgundy flock material, and I think that's one of the first three D printed final interior components. Vintage Air, um, AC controls on there, obviously. And then we've got sort of jag seats in it. You can see the, on the very right-hand side there, the buttons for the electric seats that are in it, which are from an old early 90s Jag. Um, but, that, yeah, that was a super, super cool car. And it, funnily enough, Jonathan Ward, who I talked about earlier, he's building something really similar at the minute. He's doing a, a 108 um, kind of Survivor Series type build with, a, with an LS in yeah. it. You've probably seen it, maybe. Uh-huh. Oh, man, that's awesome. You've, uh, 
it's good getting to hear the stories and your thought process about stuff. And it's funny just the things that you're in, incorporating because it's not commonplace over there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we everybody wants what they don't have. You know, everybody wants to be a little <laughs> yeah. different. So we're going to try and you know, throw a Mercedes motor in this or, you know, Jesse's doing a BMW motor in, in that new car he's doing and, and y'all mm-hmm. are doing LS stuff. Yeah. Everybody yeah, wants yeah. to do, you know, a little bit. We've, we've, we've now reached the point because we've done, well, two Mercedes, the Jag. We're doing a Jensen at the minute. We're doing a Jensen CV8, which is, you've probably heard of an Interceptor, yeah. but we the CV8 was before the Interceptor. They only made 500 of them. It was a fiberglass body over a steel chassis, and we're doing a complete carbon, we've done a complete carbon fiber version of the body with loads of changes. So we, we basically modeled lots of changes on the body, widened it, changed the swage lines, changed it to flush fitting glass apertures, had a mold taken of that. I've done a complete one-piece carbon fiber body for it. We've done a glass roof, which we've tooled up for and had a, a one-off curved oh, wow. glass roof made that you can switch darker or lighter. Um, and that is also having an LS, supercharged LS in that. But we've got to the point now where I'm starting to say, when we're planning projects, I'm like, oh, uh, should we do another LS? <laughs> I don't know. It's getting a bit, it's getting a bit like we all do it. We're always doing this, but, but it's, it's such a good solution. It's <laughs> always that. I mean, back in the day, even being in the import stuff, I mean, the, the greatest thing for us was any kind of JDM stuff or right-hand drive or, you know, J actual Japan spec items, you know, and they could, they didn't give two shits about it, you know, and they wanted low riders, you know, or mini trucks, you know, mm. G body low riders like that. And I mean, there was so many containers swapping, going back and going forth, back yeah. and forth, filling one full of right hand drive, Integra dashes and front <laughs> yeah. ends, you know, empty that fill it full of low riders you know, <laughs> yeah. and ship it back and they're yeah. like yeah that's fine send us all the low riders we'll send <laughs> yeah. you all. yeah it's just funny how it's because it's uh, what you're not used to and like mm. you said the counterculture the something that everybody wants something that nobody else has you know yeah. a little bit different i forgot who i was talking about they said it's uh the distant expert is the the explanation that if they're in your backyard you instantly like disqualify them like that's not something that's like cool or you should mm, do yeah. but if you can go to california and get he it, must like, know what he's it's talking gotta about. be better because out in california that's how they do it even though he's in but, somebody else's backyard there yeah <laughs> yeah yeah oh yeah. uh, well now we get to the time we ask them the standard questions so hope you're ready hmm. we do some we do these questions with every single guest we might have missed one or two but it's depending on how drunk we got um so your very your personal first car and a story about that car it was a ford sierra which probably wouldn't be that here it's, um yeah it's, what would a sierra be yeah i don't know but it's like a if you yeah google uk Euro, european ford sierra 1992 i think mine was would this be a S- probe our escort or don't know Taurus? if you ever got a, a Sierra. Uh, it might be a Taurus. It could be. Could be. Probably with an S. Yeah, like that. That'd be the that'd be the escort. It's It'd the, be our escort. Yeah. Yeah. Literally a white hatchback, like the one you got your mouse on there. Yeah. 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 Also called the race court. Yeah. In uh, yeah. in my high school. Was it? <laughs> yeah. I don't even know why I ended up with it, but I I started out wanting a CR Honda CRX. I really wanted a Honda CRX, a VTEC one. And I went, to, I went to see one, and it was uh, thankfully it was too rusty because on the way back, uh, I called my, I was must have gone with my dad, I think. I called my mum on the phone. She was like, "Oh, how are you going to insure this?" And I was like, "I thought you told me you were going to insure it and put me on as a named driver because back then it's all it's all changed now. But back then you could put an adult on as the main driver, 
and put like somebody who'd only just passed their test on as a still, named driver, yeah. <laughs> and you get, a, and it would be way yeah, cheaper. Now, now they, they totally don't let you do that anymore. Yeah. But, but, but she was like, "No, I'm not doing that." So I was like, "Well, it's a good job I didn't buy it then, because I wouldn't have been able to insure it." <laughs> so then something made me move on to that, and then I did then do a lot of modification to that. I changed the engine out. It was a 1.6. I changed it to a two liter. Um, put a different cam in it, different exhaust, different suspension, um, and then. I, th- I forget what happened to it. I think my mum offered me a car that she already owned, and I was like, oh, I'll take that off you. So I think I just broke it apart for spares and scrapped it, which now seems terrible. Um, but, yeah, it's not it's not an overly amazing first car. Yeah. But, but the, no, I don't the, think any of us Insurance, really insurance means that you just can't get anything good was in the first car. Was the insurance that much higher on the CRX? Uh, yeah. Why? Yeah. I, just the hatchback? I, they're a boy racer car, you know. People oh, they are, knew. They Ricers, know. as you'd call them. They know stuff. <laughs> like, it takes years for anybody to figure out yeah. here on the insurance side of things, like, what. I mean, that that cost me about the same as it cost me to buy the car to insure it for one year. But the CRX would have been at least twice what it cost me to buy the car to insure it for one year. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah that would have been, like, £1,500 when I bought it in, uh, I guess, 2000, maybe. I'm, I'm 40 now, and I, that would have been 18 when I got that. So. Wow. I was always looking like they were two-door hatchbacks that they just stretched. They threw another door in, <laughs> yeah. Now, the Cosworth one is the one everybody knows about, uh, certainly in Europe. And they, did, they did a Sierra RS Cosworth, which was like the touring car, motorsport car, and uh, it's pretty iconic. Uh. No, no fun stories about that car. You didn't like jump it or wreck it or. Uh, I did. A, I can't believe I didn't kill myself and it put it that way. Yeah, there's no specific stories. I did jump it once and thought I'd smash the sump. A lot of sparks, a lot of noise, but didn't somehow. Uh, but no, actually, amazingly, no amazing stories. So sorry to disappoint you. I should make oh, something no. up. Is that <laughs> how, how, how much? Are, yeah. So how those, much are those? Those are now worth a lot. Like really? that. If that's an RS five hundred, which is the homologation version for racing, uh, yeah, that would be a hundred thousand pound now to buy one of those. So a hundred thousand dollars, basically, it's almost one to one at the moment. That's pretty badass. Yeah. So they were used in various touring car, yeah, like that, Group A cars, uh, British touring cars, German touring cars. Huh. There was a time when almost the cool. whole British touring car grid was made up of Sierras because nobody else could compete. So really? it ended up almost a one-make race. It was the same era as the E30 BMW M3s, so they were the only cars that could really compete with those. So it was, uh, for a while, touring car in Europe was basically Sierras versus M3s. Huh. Your favourite car movie and why? Ooh, probably Rush, um, which, I don't know, it's just the... The characters, is, you know, it's, uh, rushes for James Hunt and, you know, Nicky Lauda one. Yeah. Uh, really good roles. Everything in it is great, isn't it? You know, it's beautifully shot. The story's amazing. The character's one. amazing, you know. I suppose being a Brit, I kind of love the, the James Hunt character. So, right. you know, it's, it's a fantastic It is a good film. one. I like that one. Good movie. Uh, best piece of advice that you've ever received? Re- I, tell you, I can give you a recent one, which okay. was one of my, a while ago. One of my clients said you need to get a PA because you need to hand over all the shit you don't need to do to somebody else. And not long after that, I, we basically employed a receptionist, which took a load of workload off me. 
and I was really glad we did that. So in the last few years, that was a good piece of advice. <laughs> but I'm sure, I'm sure there's been some much better ones in the past, but I can't think of them. If you could go back in time at any point in time, what time would it be and what would you tell yourself? <sighs> so it obviously has to be within the last 40 years to tell yourself mm. something. But. Just 2019... And I'd say this COVID thing's not going to be that bad. <laughs> that's that's a great one. That's a really good one. Because nobody that's knew. The first time because yeah, you're Hit right. Hit the stock market hard like yeah. June yeah. 2020. Just yeah. just carry on going to work. <laughs> yep, it'll be it's no big deal. Yeah, here's yeah. a couple of companies you might want to think about investing. In. Yeah, yes, yeah, put your money in Pfizer and just carry on working. <laughs> that would probably have a lot less gray hair if I uh, I took that advice. Yeah. yeah. I think that's one of the best answers we've had in the 60 episodes. Oh, really good. What's in your pocket right now? Phone and wallet. You're traveling, so not not really much of cool things. No. Yeah. I'm just I say best SEMA story. I've got one for you. Really right. What was your first car? My first mm. car, it's technically the Ford Probe. Ooh. Uh Yes, it's, it's a supercar. Show you me know. what that looks like you in, a, in the States, because we had a Ford Probe in the You've 90s, and a, it was... You've seen what a Ferrari I looks mean, like, right? I can't use the right. It, I can't use the, the words that we would generally use to describe it. But it's, I mean, Ford's, <laughs> it's Ford's. It's Ford's version of a Ferrari. Put, Before, put it this way: we, we would call t- say probe drivers. Uh, let's say wrongens. <laughs> Not wanting to be too specific. That would be it, right there. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what. I was yeah. Like. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that 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 is pretty much up there in the UK as yeah. a, a car you wouldn't entrust your children to the driver of. <laughs> Put it that way. Lives true. Lives true. It's the first derogatory thing I've ever heard said. Yeah, I've never heard anybody say bad about it. Were they really well? Were they genuinely respected over here? Not no, really. no. Oh, thank God, <laughs> we built them up into something. Josh is it's convinced also- it was the bridge between the. Ford GT40 and the new Ford GT. Yeah, that it was, was Ford's like mm, well, Ford. 80 supercar. <laughs> yeah, almost that. Yeah. <laughs> the actual. Uh, real first car was uh, a 1976 Ford F100 long wheelbase pickup truck. Uh, See, to me, that is cool, but I guess over here, it's literally the most common car there is. It was, yeah, it was a long wheelbase, and it was brown on brown, Um, (laughs) two-tone. That's good. My granddad's, that was, I learned to drive at 13, so it was, Mm. I learned to drive in that, tossed me the keys and said, go figure it out. You know, he lived out in the rural Mm. area and had land. See, right now, though, that that is genuinely... To me, super cool. Like, especially the brown on brown. That's like the best bit. Yeah. It, it, me at 16, when he says, hey, you're <laughs> yeah, driving it, this is how you get around. I was like, yeah, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> not cool. Yeah. So like you, cool. you guys have been doing some C10 builds for a while now, haven't you? And, and that's, yeah. you see, that must be a car that was incredibly uncool for a, oh, a long while. I mean, there's so many of them. And that, that was one of the cars we kept seeing when we were driving around, just in people's backyards. C10s have always had. Because they did so many more short beds in Mm, in C10s than they did in Fords. So, so many more C10 short beds. And guys that got a short bed, they usually had them as like more sport trucks, right? Mm. That was before sport trucks was a thing. So, they would have that, that, they were cool. Even the four wheel drive, like an all black, um, you know, late 70s uh, four wheel drive C10, that dude was king shit. Like, that's that's a badass. And they were they were cool back then, but the you know Ford's not so much because they didn't do as many. They were more work trucks. Fords were like, that's where that stigma kind of came from in mm. that marketing thing of, 
Fords were, you know, hard working, you know, tough trucks or whatever. And then the Chevy was kind of more of like for the shinier, dressier kind of guy and stuff. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, yeah, the C10 was always cool. The Ford, I will do a, a 76 Ford, a truck at one. I'll, yeah, I'll yeah. have one just because of the memories and the, the nostalgic part of yeah. it. But it won't be a long bed. And it won't be brown on brown. It probably will be brown on brown. That'll be the one thing. I want to do it. We've never done a truck build. Uh, I'd like to. We've, we've got, there's quite a few in the UK, like obviously nothing like there is here, but there's quite a few have found their way over there, American trucks. Yeah. So we would, we, we need to do one yeah, at some there's, point. There's, how's the C10 scene over there? It's, it, it's, there's a few, like it's, it's niche, but it, because of the likes of what you guys and similar people are doing, it's rubbed off over in the UK. So the, yeah, there's, there's a scene definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's quite a few old F like, F100s and D100s and, yeah, this later stuff. It's, quite, it's just quite a niche scene, that's all. Right, right. Has the Batina stuff caught on over Yeah, there? totally, yeah. Yeah, I've got, a, there's a mate of mine down the road from where we are who's just constantly building, like, hot rod trucks, and he's gone through, like, uh, yeah, they're all Patina things. He did a, is it a COE? I don't know if you say that. Yeah, or cab code. over. Yeah, yeah cab he over did one of those recently. They're all, like, air ride, custom chassis. He's been doing them with, like, Cummins engines in them. Um, he did a – he's got – I think he's just got a C10, but he's definitely done a C10, like a F100, COE. Yeah, like there's a scene for it. It's just small. Where y'all are at uh, specifically with your shop, are you in the more rural area or are you, like, big city? Uh, we kind of – amazingly, we've got the best of both. We are in a rural area, but we're, we're really close to some really good major road links. So in the UK, you've got, like, the M1 – that's like the main motorway to the east side of the country. The M6 is the main motorway to the west. And then you've got joining them, the M69 in the Midlands. And we're like right in the middle of that. So we're like the best location in the get, country for stuff. people from anywhere getting to us. Um, but we are like, we're, just, we're on a farm, like a few miles out. Well, we're like a mile out of a little tiny village on a farm. So it's a good location. We're, we're unfortunately at that point now where we really need a bigger place. And we've now got all the units within the building we're in. There's another building, but at the moment there's no sign that that's going to become available. So we're in that awkward point where we know we need to move, but the the idea of moving to another site is just like, I want to just block it out of my mind, <laughs> even though I know I want to do it. Is there any room to add on where you're at? Maybe, but we don't own it. We rent it. So we're in with the guy who owns it used to farm it. He farmed it until like, they had this thing in the UK, uh, foot and mouth disease that got all the cattle yeah. herds and they had he had to get rid of his herd. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at that point, he converted it to industrial use. Now, we get on really well with the guy. Um, and I think selling the place is on the cards. So we're thinking, you know, we'd love to buy it. Um, but he's kind of dragging his feet a bit. So we don't want to push him too hard. But right. at the same time, we need we kind of need Do answers. because yeah. yeah. Well, Callum, it's been awesome, man. Appreciate you making the uh, short trip over here, you know. <laughs> 4,000 miles. Yeah, 4,000 miles. For this. Um, uh, I'm glad you got to see the shop and, and, and uh, Chris show you around. And it was good sitting down and talking, too, and getting uh, yeah. a little bit of that mentality. It shows that uh, at the end of the day, we're all car guys and thinking. Mm. Yeah, it's been, it's been amazing to be here. It's, it's no exaggeration to say that since 2013, you guys have, have been the number one company that i've looked at to go we need to be doing that so yeah. well it's great to be here
got to find better heroes. But. <laughs> <laughs> no, now we're in that weird position where some people are saying that about us now, and I'm like, uh, we're just kind of building cars in a shed. <laughs> it all comes for full circle, man. It yeah. always comes full circle. Keeping You've got, the, obviously, the right mentality um, in this little conversation that we've had. You know, you can kind of tell that, and that's, at the end of the day, that's all that matters. You take care of the customer, do what you say you're going to do, continue to be better every day the next day, and yeah. everything else falls into place. I hope so. Yeah. Awesome. Appreciate it. Big thanks again to Callum. Remember, you can learn more about Retro Power by checking out their Instagram at Retro Power Cars. Be sure to follow Callum on Instagram at his own personal one at Retro Power underscore Cal. Thanks again for listening to Oil and Whiskey with the Roadster Shop and Ironclad Original. If you like the show, what do you do? Leave a rating or comment down below. That's right. We'll see you again next week. Phil nailed it. Smooth. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.